You promise your child they can chase their dreams and become who they want to be. But college is expensive. Our promise is to help you save for college today and every day, worry-free. YouPromise.com lets you save extra money for college by doing the everyday things you already do. Save when shopping online or even at the grocery store. Link any college savings plan with a free YouPromise account and watch your child's future take flight. Sign up today at YouPromise.com for a $30 welcome bonus. Start now at YouPromise.com. If you're ready to lose weight, let Noom put psychology to work. Noom's award-winning weight loss program takes a cognitive behavioral approach, helping you form sustainable change that lasts. With Noom, no food is off limits, and there's no counting calories either. Instead, Noom gives you the ongoing guidance and support you need to form healthier habits and achieve your goals, all backed by leading evidence-based psychology and nutrition science. Start your trial at Noom.com habit. That's N-O-O-M dot habit. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. I've got the agent for Kyler Murray, the number one pick in the NFL draft, and for Frank Clark, who just did that huge deal with the Kansas City Chiefs, He's coming up. It's Eric Burkhardt, the agent in the news, coming up on the Business of Sports podcast. You know this podcast is presented by BetOnline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts. Of course, they're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use that promo code PODCAST1. You get that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag. We'll get to our special guest in a minute. First, a rant about the same topic. We just had the draft. And I want to talk about the business of quarterbacks for the Arizona Cardinals. Now it's pretty clear they're one speed ahead, and that's Kyler Murray, and he's going to run that spread offense of Cliff Kingsbury. We'll hear about that with Eric, who's the agent for Kingsbury as well. And it's going to be exciting, and they drafted three receivers. It's going to be up-tempo. But what about what they just went through? The business of football quarterbacks in Arizona is horrendous. It's a case study and how not to manage quarterbacks. Now, it all comes due to the coaching change, the one-and-done for Coach Steve Wilkes in Arizona, but look at what detritus is left behind. They spent, in 2018, Josh Rosen front-loaded rookie contract, $11.5 million. Sam Bradford placeholder contract, $16 million. Mike Glennon, who knows, $5 million. So add it up, $32.5 million on quarterbacks. None of them, none of them are on the current roster. It's not enough for you. Let's go to cap. Leaving behind cap-wise, $8.2 million cap charge on Josh Rosen. Leaving behind $5 million on Sam Bradford, leaving behind $3 million on <laughs> Mike Glennon. So that's five, three, that's eight, that's $16.2 million in cap charges. I mean, listen, I get it. They wanted to change things around. Kyler Murray is a once-in-a-lifetime talent, in co- in according to them. But this is not the way to run the quarterback position at a franchise. And the beneficiaries are the Miami Dolphins because they inherit a Rosen contract that's basically paid off. Like I said, the way these first-round quarterbacks go, the first-round contracts 
heavy on bonus, and the bonus is, of course, allocated to the team that signs them, unless they trade them before they pay the bonus. And that's $11 million plus the 500 salary. That's 11.5 of that 17.8 contract is basically paid off. So what do the Giants, what do the Dolphins inherit? They inherit three years, $6.2 million. Three years total, total of $6.2 million for what could be their franchise quarterback. It's the best bargain out there, one of them, in terms of the entire football league, and it may be even that bargain if he's a backup the whole time, which he won't be. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick obviously has a limited shelf life as starter there. But just to me, you know, we have a case study on the business of football quarterbacks in Arizona, and it did not go well. That's where we are, the rant of the week about what just happened due to the draft in Arizona. Three quarterbacks, $32.5 million cash, $16.5 million cap. Neither, not a one of them, is current member of the Arizona Cardinals. Who is Kyler Murray, the number one pick, the guy who had baseball, he had so much leverage, and of course, he was drafted number one. He will be the showcase of that team, someone special. And here is my interview with his agent, Eric Burkhart. Eric, someone I wanted to have for a long time, and no one in the news more from the agent world in the past week than Burkhart representing Murray, and just did a deal for Frank Clark with the Kansas City Chiefs. For $105 million, $65 million guaranteed. What a week it was. What an interview this is. He talks about Clark. He talks about Murray all the way back to watching him as a young player. He talks about Cliff Kingsbury. He talks about the entire process. And then he'll get into how to be an agent, what it's the agent business like, what to tell young people, as I always ask agents on this program. Special edition here of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt with my guest, Agent Eric Burkhart. Eric, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's good to finally catch up. I've been wanting to come on for a while, and you know how this time of year gets for all of us. I know you've got a zillion things going on, too, so glad we can finally kind of decompress after uh, last week and, um, and, uh, and chop it up a little bit. Yeah, and let's start there because no better place to start than the draft. You know, Murray and another one of your clients is uh, Cliff Kingsbury, the coach, the new coach of the Cardinals. So you got the new coach and the new quarterback and the future is kind of in your hands. You know, take us through sort of from February when he picked you as his football agent until last weekend. So it was quite a ride with Kyler and, you know, however much you can share and how much you knew, how much you didn't know how were your interactions with Cliff about all this, how much was kept under the vest from the Cardinals side. I'll let you have the floor here. Yeah, well, sure. No, first of all, obviously just extremely honored. I, I was, I've been watching Kyler. I live in Dallas. So Kyler yeah. from Allen, Texas, you know, suburb of Dallas where he did some, you know, he's been doing special things around here for seems like 10 years since he was a small. So I remember going to watch Kyler in high school. I mean, that's how good he was. It's like, you got to go mm. watch this phenom. You know, he was winning state championship after state championship. I think he's a 15, 16 year old at Allen. Um, and, and I went to watch him play then. Uh, I even went out to a few baseball games and watched him do his thing there. And, you know, I just think I, I've, everybody around here has known for a while that he, he's a generational type athlete. And, uh, and I just wanted to go watch him. So, uh, you know, some mutual people. Um, obviously his dad played football at the highest level. You know, they beat, 
Bo Jackson's Auburn team in the Cotton Bowl way back. So Kevin went to A&M, uh, Kyler's father. Heckman asked he knows a lot of the same people I know in the area. And, um, you know, but I was kind of recruiting Kyler at probably like the rest of the world was. Um, and, you know, it was no surprise to me this year at Oklahoma when he started doing what, what I knew he was capable of doing and um, literally had a historic year, maybe the best year ever in college football, which is really saying something, especially as kind of a first-year starter. So, um, you know, I know he was going through it with the whole baseball stuff, being a top-ten pick in baseball, and, you know, I knew how much he loved football, but um, obviously he's got to look out for his best interest and, and create some options for himself. That's what he did. So, you know, I was blessed to come in, and when they chose me to be the football agent and really go at this thing, and I sat down with Kyler and his family, and they just, you know um, – you know, they said that he wanted to go that direction, and, and I was the guy. So um, it was – we really got a little bit of a late start. I think it was, yeah, mid-February. Combine was just around the corner, and uh, and we had a lot of work to do on and off the field. And so we uh, – I'll tell you what, just been a, been a pleasure working with him and his family, just really – I mean, just workers. I mean, Kyler's one that, again, even today, I mean, the day after the draft, he's out throwing 100 balls and getting ready and – uh, he wants to be great. Just, you know, he's one of the rare ones that, that didn't ask me a hundred times, where am I going? Where am I going? Are you sure I'm going here? He's just like, how do I become a better pro? And you know, Andrew being on the other side of it, those are the guys that ultimately make it. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's been a, been a, been a real whirlwind, but, but a lot of fun, obviously with, with that. And then cold, you know, culminating in, in last Thursday when he was the number one overall pick was something just uh, really special for him and his family. And also me and my family, I'd, never had the number one overall pick before. So um, certainly one of my professional goals. And I just can't wait to see what him and Cliff can accomplish together because I think they're a perfect match. And, um, and I, I know they're both anxious to get ready to go to work and, and prove themselves on this level. Yeah. I mean, it's great. What a get for you. And, and it's such a great story of following him. And when he was God, when he, people knew about him, as you said, when he was like nine, 10 years old, uh, this phenom, mm-hmm. the, uh, the baseball thing, and I know Scott Boris was representing him on the baseball side. I'm trying to put sort of the dates and times in this. So you get involved in February. Had he sort of made his commitment to football at that time? What was going on then? I know the A's were interested, probably still are interested. There was talk about they'd go outside the rookie pool in baseball to pay him a different kind of contract. So where were you in all that in his deliberations about which sport? Yeah, I really wasn't. By the time they chose me, then I think they, you know, at least my understanding had kind of laid that to bed and wanted to go attack football. And that's where my job came in. So okay. I'm big on staying in my lane and doing my job the best I can do it. And so um, I was not involved in any of those decisions or what sport he was going to play. I came in after the fact. I know they had met with them a few times, and, and that's their private business. And they're a real private family, which I have a ton of respect for. And especially in this day and age, I think, you know, I advise that's the way you should do your business, you know. And, um, you know, they, they kind of handled that. Kyler made his decision for football, and that's kind of when I came in and said, okay, decision has been made. Let's go attack the football side. Um, what is your plan, E.B.? You know, and I kind of put together my plan, and I tell young people all the time when I speak at these things, you know, I kind of lay the roadmap. And that doesn't mean every guy follows it, or that doesn't mean we sometimes don't have detours along the way that we've got to kind of pivot and adjust. Uh, but that, that's when we really started laying out kind of the blueprint for what our goals were in the NFL draft. And, you know, as you know, with quarterbacks, it's not even so much about how high you get drafted, but 
the situation, the coach, the system, uh, right. the management, all the way up to ownership. It's a gigantic decision. Uh, so quarterbacks are very, very different. And, um, you know, I laid out what I thought was a really solid plan and, and, and they believed in it. And, um, and that's when they said, we like it, let's go get it. So. Yeah. Take us inside that plan. So from, from early February until last weekend, sort of where do you train? How do you prepare? What were you doing Intel wise with the teams on where he might be drafted? Yeah, I think, you know, really it comes down to, okay, these are the six or seven teams that, that are going to potentially be looking at quarterbacks. Um, you know, and I always say much like with, if it's a wide receiver or a corner, you kind of have to cast a really wide net. As I say, you're out there hunting with a shotgun, kind of spreading mm-hmm. your seed all over the place, if you will, going, look at me, you know, here's what he is. But with a quarterback, you really got to hunt with a rifle. You've got to, it's got to be a very strategic approach um, to everything you do, all the communication that goes on, the interactions with the front office. Um, obviously, first round quarterbacks are always going to be an owner decision as well, unlike any other position where they have to check off on it. So, Without getting too far into the weeds about what that looks like, you really just got to break down those six or seven opportunities of teams that you know are going to really vet quarterbacks high um, and then talk about what works for them and why. And you've got to kind of reverse engineer it into why he makes sense for which team or maybe he doesn't make sense. And, you know, and then you've got some internal decisions to make, like, hey, we're not real you know, gung-ho about going to that, that franchise or that coach or whatever the case may be because we don't think it fits. And I've seen a lot of careers end earlier than they should or at least be derailed um, because a lot of agents or what have you just want to go to the highest team that's drafting uh, per se, and it's maybe not the best fit for a guy. So um, just kind of working through those scenarios and going through what those relationships look like at every, oppor- you know, at every potential opportunity that could draft a quarterback and, and where we thought we wanted to go and why. Um, and if we identify the Arizona Cardinals is, is kind of our main goal, then, okay, how do we help, you know, how do we achieve that goal based on those decision makers that are making those, those picks and those decisions? And, and why do we feel like we can turn around that franchise? Um, so it's really kind of starts with identifying that um, and then just playing out the process. But look, Tyler's been highly trained by his father his whole life. His dad trains quarterbacks for a living. I mean, you look at Kyler's mechanics. I've been out there. We have other starting quarterbacks in the league. We've had some of the highest paid backups ever. Chase Daniels, you know, Case Keenum's done really well. You don't, like, mm-hmm. On and on. We've had some, you know, we've had first-round quarterbacks before who are great players, taking nothing away from them. But I'll tell you, when I first went out to throw the ball with Kyler Murray, it, it comes out different. The mechanics are, I mean, it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. So his dad was his coach. Um, he still had a lot of work to do, you know, on the board and, and all of those type of things to kind of really start digging into NFL defenses and the nuances of, of how good these coordinators are in the NFL. So that when he had that opportunity to sit down with teams and decision makers, he could be on point and they could see that, A, he knows what he's talking about. He can digest it. He can learn on the fly. He can adjust. So that's a lot of sitting down with, you know, with what he did before with Lincoln Riley and, and going through all of his Oklahoma tape and, you know, identifying what he does at, at the most elite levels and then what are some of the things we need to work on um, to continue to get better and to address what NFL teams ask us. So for me, it's a fully integrated approach. I've watched every snap Kyler's taken all the way back to high school. I think that's how well you need to know your client when you're, when you're representing quarterbacks. And you got to be real candid about some of the things he didn't do or wasn't asked to do in college or whatnot and, and be able to, to show you can do those things too. Um, 
So we hired uh, Jim Zorn, a longtime former coach in the NFL, former head coach, mm-hmm. been a lot of places as a coach and a player. Um, and we flew out to Los Angeles for a couple weeks and, and sat down with Jim every morning, multiple times a day. And then he went out and trained at a facility out there um, as well. But um, Tyler remains in great shape. I mean, the day I signed him, I think the first thing I wanted to do was okay, step on a scale. He was 203, 204. Kyler's a solid guy. So I'm yeah. reading all this stuff on the internet about he weighs 185 and he's five foot eight. And I knew that wasn't true just because I've been around the young man. And so I just kind of laughed at it and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to go through that at the combine. We'll check all of those boxes. Um, and from there it was about really just having him work and learn every day um, through the process. We had a plan and we kind of executed it. So you got the Cardinals, and as everyone knows, they drafted a first-round quarterback last year, one year ago, traded up to get him. He was the future. You know, Sam Bradford was the placeholder for a while, but took about a month before Josh Rosen was inserted. They had a bad year, but it certainly looked like he was the future. And then, as you know better than anyone, they had a coaching change, brought in your client. So... How was it looking in Arizona? Obviously, you're looking at a situation like I just said. They have a quarterback, a young quarterback, just out of college. So where was that discussion? What did you look at there? Where did you see the the falling point if he didn't go there? And did you have a, a sort of targeted team, if not Arizona? Great questions. I think first and foremost, I believe, and I think many other people, you know, believe, and I think he's played this out already before he's been playing in the NFL. Just, I think Kyler really is a, a generational athlete. And I think that's really what it was. That's no, I mean, I know how Cliff Kingsbury, I don't want to speak for Cliffs, but, but I know how he feels. He's my client, and he's, you know, long time client. And, and I, he took the job in Arizona um, with, you know, thinking he wanted to work with Josh Rosen um, over some other opportunities he may have had as well in the NFL. And uh, because that's how much he thinks of Josh and how talented he thinks he is. Obviously, you know what, what Steve Kime and, and their organization thinks of him by, by taking him where they took him last year. And, and look, I think he's a hell of a player, too. I thought Josh was one of the top quarterbacks to come out last year. Um, and I think he was the fourth quarterback taken um, last year. But, I, you know, I thought he was, you know, better than that just based on what he had done in college and how talented and smart of a young guy he is. So that's all true. I just think at the end of the day, from my perspective, anybody else really or their client or what they do or couldn't do i would never do that and say kyler does this better than this guy but at the end of the day uh, my whole thing is you you don't pass on lebron james and and that's what i truly believe kyler is um i think he's a generational talent and that has nothing to do with whoever else had a quarterback i've seen many other people in the top five many of which or top 10 that, that quote unquote have their quarterback or drafted one early um know what kyler murray is and can be as well and I think that would surprise some people. I mean, there's there's six people I always ask every year about quarterbacks, and it's, to me, the sixth best in the world. And that's not only Cliff and what he's done. You know, he found Baker Mayfield and brought him to Texas Tech and, and mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, and he had Davis Webb and some of these guys that weren't highly recruited but but Cliff found and developed it and believed in. So Cliff's one of them. I mean, I asked Andy Reid what he thought about the quarterbacks in this class and specifically what he thinks about, you know, Kyler Murray. I asked Sean Payton about him. I asked Kyle Shanahan about him. I can go on and on about those six guys. And to a man, all six, I mean, most of those guys didn't and don't need quarterbacks because they know how to find them and they know what they're looking for and they know how to develop them. But they were just like, every one of them was like, E.D., like, yes. Like, 
I don't give a shit. If, a couple told me I don't give a shit if he's five seven. That dude's a game changer. No one should be passing on him uh, based on what he has the ability to change your franchise overnight. And I don't think that's any indictment on, on Josh Rosen or who, anybody else. I just think Kyler's that special. Um, and I think ultimately, I don't want to speak for the Cardinals, but I think that's what they saw too. Um, it, it, you know, it wasn't any kind of indictment about Josh or where they even drafted him. You don't pass on a generational talent just because you already have. And one of the analogies I've used several times is, you know, going back to Portland Trailblazers had a, had a Hall of Fame guard. They applied draft. Right. And uh, that's why they didn't draft Michael Jordan in that draft. They took Sam Bowie because, oh, you know, we've already got a two guard. He's really, really good. We like him. He just averaged X, Y, and Z as a rookie. Well, at the end of the day, you just pass on Michael Jordan, right? And so um, I've seen that happen many times. So to me, that was my mantra. And that's how special I think Kyler is. And frankly, if the team didn't believe Kyler could be that guy, we didn't want to go there anyway. Um, so I, I don't mean to oversimplify it because there's obviously a lot to it. Um, but, but I think that that's a lot of teams up there at the top. I, I definitely did what I believe had a floor going into the draft, um, where I knew he wouldn't get past, so to speak. I don't want to kind of put everybody's business out there to, you know, some of them may or may not have ended up with a quarterback and you know how that goes. But, um, we certainly try to create the floor first and then, um, and then kind of evaluate every situation as it kind of goes up. And it just worked out to where the team with the number one pick uh, with a coach who I think kind of fits very, very well. Um, you know, I think he's going to bring a lot of excitement to the debtor. And I do, I think he changes their organization overnight. They've still obviously got a long way to grow, to go, and it's going to be a process, but um, I think he's going to keep some defensive coordinators up at night and, and he can do some things that, that very few guys, um, can in the league physically so hey, two questions there so when did you know really know that they were going to take him and even with that did you have were you told that josh rosen would stay josh rosen would go we'll see how it goes we'll see how the second day of the draft goes what was the communication about like that um i mean I felt like I had a pretty good idea, um, but you know in this business, Andrew, nothing is – I mean, all the way up until the phone call, I mean, you never yes. know what could happen. You know, I, I'll tell you this, multiple teams, meaning three or more, um, called me about a potential contract with, with, uh, with Kyler Murray um, before the draft, before he was selected, meaning if we were to trade up into a position, whether that means he fell a little bit or got past the first pick and, and a team wanted to trade up and come get him, they obviously wanted to talk contract with me um, in hmm. terms of, you know, baseball and what that looked like. So this wasn't a situation where, and I think that's been lost in all this, that and what, what truly the best quarterback people in the world think of this young man. It, it wasn't just turned into, Oh, this, you know, Cliff Kingsbury loves him and that's it. Like, I think that's, I've always found that a little bit weird. It's like somebody go ask Andy Reid what he thinks of Kyler Murray, um, you know, or, or Sean Payton for that matter, or guys, you know, um, so Right. You know, I, it's, I had some conversations with multiple teams about what that would look like. And there's always that possibility as every team should do their due diligence all the way up until they turn in that pick, you know, what that looks like, what could they get back in a trade hall and compare that to what they have in front of them. And, and I think that speaks a lot to, you know, what, especially Arizona thought of Kyler by holding on to that pick um, and, uh, and taking him. And, um, and what they think he's capable of moving forward and as do I. So, 
you know, I, I think it's uh, going to be really special out there in the desert. So you didn't know until the, sitting in that green room. I tell my guys all the time. Again, I, I felt like I had a pretty, a pretty good idea, but I, I, there's no such thing as 100% in this business, Andrew. You know that. Okay. Right. You're, you were in the room when y'all took Aaron Rodgers at 24 right. or whatever it was. Like, the guy should have been the number one pick. He's probably been, you know, he's been one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Um, you just don't know. You have to prepare your guys um, really kind of for the worst. Um, so, you know, I had a pretty good idea, but at the same time, this is the NFL, things change quickly, and um, uh, until they select you, you're not a Cardinal. So that's where, uh, where our mind frame was, you know, going in all the way up until the pick was made. You mentioned, and yeah, and you mentioned the contract and baseball. First of all, you're, we're only, I know we're only four days out. Uh, have you started talking about the contract, and has the baseball discussion come up? in the contract, whether now or prior to, you know, them taking him, he's mentioned it came up with other teams, maybe the Cardinals as well. Yeah. I want to keep the contract stuff between us right now, Andrew, you know how that is. I don't want to put their business out there or, or Kyler's personal business. Um, it's certainly something I've talked about with multiple teams. Um, obviously the Cardinals, you know, took him. So we're going to work through that. But like I said, you know, these contracts, we kind of got to kind of back into, that top slot potentially in terms of what that looks like. Yeah. There's a lot of language things now. I think as you saw with the holdout from the bears last year and, you know, not as yeah. much as there used to be back in kind of your day when it was some real nice fighting at the top, but there, there are a lot of language issues to look at um, baseball being one of them. Um, so we're working through, uh, or we will be working through some of those um, I'm sure in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, I always talk about these contracts are pre, see, people think they're so pre-negotiated, and for the money, they are, but there's so much left to do, especially one like his, I would think, with clauses yeah, and, no and doubt. offsets and all, the, and of course, the new thing with him is the baseball. Right, and there's some precedent on both, a lot of this stuff, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I think Jameis had a pretty, pretty onerous um, language in terms of his baseball stuff, and, and I've looked through a lot of that, and um, you know, so we're, we're working through it, but yeah, I always laugh too. And people say, Oh, they're set. There's nothing to negotiate. These agents don't have value anymore. And it's like, okay. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of things going on as you know. So, um, yeah, we'll work through it. I don't, I'm not worried about the contract though. I think, uh, you know, I think Kyler's excited, ready to get to work. He gets there next Thursday and I know he can't wait to get his hands kind of on that playbook and get going with his new teammates and, and really start working to, uh, to go help them win some more games this year. Yeah, he's going to be exciting to watch. I mean, I think <laughs> he has obviously changed the dynamic and the profile of that whole team, uh, and people are going to be looking forward to mm -hmm. seeing that. You had another first-rounder, I believe. You had the last pick in the first round with the Patriots. Is that correct? Yes, yes. My partner, Sean Kiernan, uh, had a hell of a year as well. He takes care of Nikhil Harry. Uh, who the Patriots mm -hmm. took at 32. So we kind of turned the lights on there with the first pick, and uh, we got uh, we got Nikhil there at 32 as well. So um, really honored to have, you know, have a couple first-round picks. We also had um, three more guys go on Friday. So I think we ultimately ended up with five of the top 95, including a couple first-rounders. So hell of a draft, hell of a job by, you know, our whole staff at Select Sports Group, my partners, uh, everything we do is, as a team. And as you know, it's a tough business. So 
to have Nikhil go there was just an awesome story with, you know, his background. And I know he worked his tail off and I, I know the Patriots know what they're getting there with Nikhil. He's, he's a hell of a prospect and really exciting and he gets to go play with the goat. So that'll be, uh, <laughs> that'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, the fact that they took a receiver first round and, and uh, yeah, what's, what a, you know, I always, I always had players come into green Bay and, the first thing they said to me was like, I get to catch from Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre before that. And <laughs> it must be a great experience for, uh, you know, I remember these real young receivers coming up and saying, he knows my name. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Right. You're both right. players. I think Tom tweeted team. at him or something like that. It was kind of like a, holy cow, like really? Um, <laughs> which, which is really cool. And, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. My thing is, you better get ready. I mean, I've had several guys there, you know, Amendola for many years and Chris Hogan's mm-hmm. in there. And, you know, we've had our fair share. I mean, there, as I tell people all the time, this isn't day one of camp there is not, you know, day one install. They're going on like year 15 install and they are stacking things on, on top of each other. I, Amendola tells a great story. I think it was his first year there. And um, they were in a game late in the season. I think it was a pretty tough November game. And Tom checked to a play in the third quarter of the game that literally they had ran it one time in camp. I think Danny's second preseason game mm. or whatever it was, they ran through a play and it was from like eight years ago when in the AFC championship game against Peyton Manning and the Colts and Tom checked to something. They had gone through it in the meeting rooms and then on the field, he checked to it. Okay, good. One time thing. Danny picked up on it. You've just got to be an incredibly smart, intuitive player because Tom's not waiting around. And sure enough, in November, they had not repped it, had not audibled or checked to it all year versus the look. And in the third quarter of a, of a live game, Tom goes to it. And that's why people don't understand how hard it is for these young receivers and young players to be on the field. Um, and, and that's why the Patriots have won with guys like Edelman, Amendola, you know, these savvy vets that beat out these young freaks all day long because you have to know what's going on. And if you don't pick up that call, Tom does, you know, a rookie can look and go, I, I don't know what that is. What does that check even mean? And Tom's like, yeah. we went over that in camp. Like it may have been one rep and you better be on your shit because he'll call it in the Super Bowl, you know, and he expects you to know. So I think yeah. there, there's good and bad with that. I think that's why the Patriots and their system with McDaniels not being there a while and Tom running that show, he will go back into the archives years and pull stuff out. And if you don't know what it is, that's on you for not watching tape seven years ago and asking questions. So I always find it fascinating. Um, so I, I know my partner's talked to Nikhil, like, look, this isn't, you know, this is, we got to go in there ready to work. You better have watched all your Patriots film, because if you want to see the field for that team, especially at that position with him throwing you the ball, um, <laughs> you better be ready for anything. So uh, it'll be fun, though. He's, I know he's ready for the challenge. Yeah, So, and that brings me back. You mentioned Amendola. One last question about the Cardinals on your coaching representation. They drafted what what people were referring to as the Danny Amendola with speed, the kid from uh, UMass, Andy Isabella, uh, and then I think two or three more receivers. Like that's going to be, you know, is that going to be the uh, the spread offense in the NFL? A real air show being done by Kingsbury there. I don't want to speak for Cliff on that. I try not to go too far into the weeds yeah. in terms of what they do or what they're going to do. Um, I know he's really excited about it, and I've talked to him about the draft class. And, yeah, they took three receivers. He loves all of them. You know, he also gets to coach Larry Fitzgerald, right, like who's yeah. a legend. Yeah. I know that was something really exciting for Cliff personally. 
And, uh, and then they have Christian Kirk, who had a hell of a rookie year, who Cliff knows going back to when he recruited him at Texas A&M. So I know he, they wanted to get younger there, and, and they had a need kind of that wide out, and it's a skill guy. So he loved the Isabella kid. Um, I know he loved the kid from, uh, from Fresno, who they took. I think they got him in the fifth or sixth round. So mm-hmm. uh, he's excited to get to work, and I'm sure he's going to spread those guys out and, and play fast at times. But, you know, Cliff understands it's a, you know, it's a different game at that level. The hashes are different. Um, you know, you got to make a lot of adjustments. Uh, the D coordinators are a hell of a lot better than they were in college. So Cliff will be ready for the challenge. I think a lot of people in the NFL know what he is. Kind of, we vetted through, I think, over almost a dozen coordinator offers. Um, aside from the multiple head coaching um, offers he was, uh, he was looking at going into this year. So people in the NFL, uh, you know, know what he's capable of, and it'll be fun to watch. So um, hopefully some of those young guys can contribute sooner rather than later. Let's transition to the veteran side because you had one of the biggest deals and and uh, <clears throat> kind of a run here on the show. I had uh, David Canner a couple weeks ago talking about Demarcus Lawrence and last week Mark Rogers talking about uh, Russell Wilson's deal. And now uh, Frank Clark's one of the biggest deals, certainly on the defensive side of the ball in history. Take us through that. Frank was franchise tagged after four years with the Seahawks. And at that point, the uh, Chiefs had their own tag at the same position. So a lot happened there. Take mm-hmm. us through that if you can. Yeah. Well, first of all, great, great guess. Um, I, I want to personally thank those guys because I think both of them played a part in, in Frank getting to where he's getting, right? And that was, yeah. uh, that was Rogers stepping up with, uh, with Russell Deal. And I know that was, you know, something obviously as, as Russell being the franchise quarterback in the space there in Seattle – um, and everything he's accomplished, you know, with his deal coming up, even with a year left, that kind of became precedent there once they franchise, you know, tag Frank, um, that they needed to really address that, um, mm-hmm. you know, to see where they were going to be at Russell. So that, you know, how much cash do they have left? How much, you know, cap do they have left? What, how does that picture fit together long-term with Bobby Ragnar and, and Jaron Reed and, and some of the other really good players they have coming up? You know, knowing that Frank, you know, and if Russell didn't get done, I was watching that one really closely because if Russell didn't get done and he stayed true to his kind of deadline or, you know, his ultimatum, then right. they had to save that franchise tag next year for Russell, which means right. they're only going to have Frank for another 16 games. So do you sit there and pay Frank that 17 and change this year to know you're only going to have him for 17 or 16 games when, uh, when you can go out and get a nice haul for him in free agency and use that big number this year? you know, to help pay Russ and or some of the other guys. So I was watching that really closely. And then obviously, you know, I I sat down and and Frank and I did literally a year ago from now. And and I knew what what Frank was capable of. And he did his part on the field. But I sat down. This is well before the Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack deals, Demarcus Lawrence deals, all of those guys. Geno Atkins hadn't done his deal. Daniel Hunter hadn't done his deal. And I said, Frank, we're going to sit back here in the weeds. And kind of our strategy there was, we're going to let some of those guys go because I knew Mac and Donald will come in in that 22 plus change range and kind of just change the whole landscape, you know, finally, you know, breaking Von Miller's kind of record at the position and on the defensive side of the ball. And then Geno Atkins would kind of follow. And then you've got these other younger guys like the Daniel Hunters of the world. And at the time, uh, um, the kid in Detroit, uh, what was his name? Uh, Anza was franchised at 17 right. last year. Lawrence was franchised at 17, so I knew some decision would have to be made on both of those guys. So I was cheering for those guys every week this year, too, to stay healthy and, 
and get their money so they can continue to rise that market. So I think, you know, Canner did a hell of a job too with that deal um, for, for Lawrence. I know that was a tough one. I live here in Dallas. I know those guys well. Um, I know they were dug in pretty hard on him. Um, and obviously at the combine, I'm, I'm finding out intel on where these other guys are coming in at because I knew Frank and a lot of these other guys would get tagged again. So once that happened, our, our plan was to go ahead and I knew Dallas had to get Lawrence done. They've just got too many mouths to feed there. Um, right. And I knew he had to be kind of that first domino because they got to get Dak done at some point. They're going to have to get the running back done. They've got a hell of a corner they've got to get done. Um, you know, and so I felt like Lawrence on that side would get done just because of his second year tag was, was becoming so large, um, that they needed to address that one. And so I was rooting for him to get as much as possible. And when that deal got done, it really kind of set, um, a floor, if you will, or at least gave us a really good ballpark range where that was kind of the range I was asking Seattle for anyway. Um, and you know, um, John was, you know, Schneider had to deal with, with Russell and some of those other things, but I had a ton of dialogue with, with John and coach and, and everybody else in their organization all year long. And we turned out a lot of money to quote unquote bet on ourselves and, and, and hit this market. Um, basically knowing what Frank could do. And Frank went out and got his 14 sacks, you know, and, and, and had a hell of a year and everybody in the league knows he's, you know, one of the best young pass rushers in football. And, those guys are one of the, you know, some of the hardest guys to find. So when Lawrence's deal got done and Russell was in, you know, in the stratosphere, he was in at 35 plus a year. And I think he's going to make over 70 in year one. Um, I was out doing my job for Frank trying to get an offer sheet for, on a franchise player, which never happens. You know, that's two first rounders. No one's going to do that. No one's going to Okay. If I can get something done with Seattle, what would you be willing to get? So I had some really, really good conversations with, you know, three or four teams that, that were very interested. Um, I believe they all made pretty strong offers for Frank um, to Seattle. I know John and Pete didn't want him to, to get away because they know what he is and, and how good he's been and how good he will be. He's just scratching the surface. He's 25 years old. But, you know, when it got to the point where they were getting a first and a second round return back, and you know in my business the hardest thing to do as an agent is not just get a player paid, but you're getting another team to give up, some, some, you know, such – substantial compensation for him and right. get him paid. I think that makes his deal, you know, doubly good. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, it worked out in Kansas city. Um, those guys think the world of Frank, obviously, and, you know, they traded away D. So I, I saw that as really an opportunity um, and a place that Frank really wanted to be. There were two other teams that, that were very serious too, but I think, you know, Kansas city really, you know, with Patrick Mahomes there and, and, and that young team they got. And I know he knows the Honey Badger a little bit. I just think they really kind of rose to the top and those guys stepped up. And at that point, um, it came down to putting a deal together and, and would, uh, would John and the guys in Seattle take that compensation? And ultimately they did and the deal came together. And um, it's a historic deal for, for Frank. And I'm just couldn't be, couldn't be happier for him. I mean, we're talking about a young man that was, I mean, he was homeless like eight years ago. Um, and so just, just an unbelievable story. And, um, Frank has done everything right and worked his ass off to get to that point. So, um, it, it was a heck of a week between his deal and, and Kyler. So yeah, really good. Yeah. Stuff. Quite a week, <laughs> you know, with, I talked about this, uh, with, uh, with Frank and you just sort of confirmed it was a two part negotiation, right? So the Seahawks and chiefs working on their compensation part first and a second, and then you working on the financial part. 
was there was there ever a chance he would be traded on the tag meaning that you know he would just not have a new deal or that was always going to be part of this with frank uh well so so we didn't sign the tag for that specific reason because okay. i knew the minute you sign the tag right you, they can trade which obviously no one's going to give up gigantic compensation meaning first you know top 50 top 100 picks first round picks without getting a long-term deal done but at the same time i always wanted to make sure that frank and i controlled it because if john called us and said we sent you to team x and we don't think it's a good fit. We don't want to go play for Team X, regardless of what that contract looks like. We can control that by not signing right. the tag because they can't trade a player only his rights um, until we sign the tag. And so, you know, I was working closely with John and, you know, communicating with him and all of the other teams to see kind of what that would look like, what the parameters of a potential deal would be. They wanted to know before they spent 100 hours, you know, knife fighting John on a potential trade that, you know, they could get something done with me. So it truly was a, a three-party deal, which made my job, you know, infinitely, you know, more difficult than, let's say, the Marcus Lawrence deal or something, where you're just literally negotiating with one team um, right. to get a deal done. So, yeah, I mean, I was talking to several teams dating all the way back to kind of, you know, um, I guess you can say when, when he was franchised and I was allowed to talk to other teams on, on his behalf, but, you know... Uh, Frank has a lot of fans out there, just put it that way, in terms of what he's put on tape and what he's capable of doing. And, um, you know, I think the sky's the limit for Frank. So it got to a point where Russell's deal happened, you know, perfectly for us because, you know, you're right. Seattle could have dug in and just said, listen, we're just going to franchise him. And that was their leverage. And there's nothing you could do except not play under the tag this year. Um, you know, so our leverage there is like, okay, well, we'll show up week one. I, right. Under no circumstances were we going to pull the lady on bell and start missing game checks. I mean, it was still due to make 17.1 fully guaranteed this year. But as I told John, one of the best advantages of the tag is you don't have to go to OTAs. You don't have to go to training camp. There's right. too much to work off your plate and a lot less injury risk. So, you know, we're not going to make it nasty or anything like that. We're, we're going to show up and we'll be there week one and Frank will be in shape and you know what you're going to get. But, you know, you're probably going to have him for only 16 more games. So I think at that point, John starts looking at him going, okay, what can I get doing his job just so he can fully vet his options. And when he's getting a first and second round pick and he gets to use that money to pay all pro players like Bobby Wagner and Jaron Reed, hopefully get their money now. Um, you know, and Frank felt really, really good about the chiefs. And ultimately once John gave his blessing to say, okay, you can talk, the Chiefs can talk to me, or, or the next team can talk to me in terms of trying to get something done. Uh, once we kind of passed that threshold um, and the Chiefs stepped up to where Frank and I wanted him to get, then that's how the deal got consummated. I got to ask this, and I know it's not a pleasant subject, but Frank had a, had a domestic violence incident before he was in the NFL. And one of the reasons I ask is because of the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs went through this with Hunt last year. The video came out. They cut Kareem Hunt. And then now what's going on with Hill, Tyreek Hill. And of course, the Hill thing just surfaced after the Clark trade and contract. But was that an mm -hmm. issue? Have you had to deal with that? Now the Chiefs have not only acquired Clark, but doubled down with this massive contract for an organization that really took a high moral stance after the Hunt release. And we'll, of course, we'll see what happens with Hill. But obviously, that's a question you've had to answer. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's a fair question. I, I just think every circumstance, as you know, in this league is very different, Andrew. And, yeah. you know, and I, I look back, I know how far Frank has come. And, you know, I, I know, look, I didn't actively recruit Frank Clark out of college. Let's look back up there. And, and I read some of the stuff that everybody else read and, um, you know, and police reports and everything else. And I did my homework. I was called on Frank by LeBron James's people who I trust implicitly and am very close with. We're out of Cleveland. Frank grew up kind of in that program there with Ted Ginn Sr., who runs a hell of a program there at Glenville High School in mm-hmm. Cleveland. Um, and, and LeBron's guys called me and said, I've got a young man here. He was kicked off his team at Michigan. Um, we don't believe that this is who he is from a character perspective. Here are the facts. And, and I flew in. I sat down, Frank. And this is before his draft, five years ago, four years ago, whatever it was. And I said, I don't recruit a lot of guys, but tell me kind of where you're at, what happened. And he kind of went through it. I, I talked to everybody through that process, including his girlfriend at the time. I talked to his head coach at Michigan who absolutely loved him. I had a coach on the Michigan staff who absolutely loved him, said he was the hardest working player um, on that team. Brady Hoke was the head coach and said, dude, my administration essentially made me kick him off. I love the kid and I believe the kid and everything else. Um, ultimately, those charges were dropped. Um, or, or pl- I think we pled to like a misdemeanor of something, um, you know, and the, and the NFL went through the hole. And I, I told Frank, I said, look, if you do everything I tell you to do, I'll take you on as a client. And Frank and I still laugh about it now to a man. Frank has done everything possible to, to try to overcome um, whatever that situation was. And, you know, it, it's tricky, Andrew, because, you know, the NFL is like judge, jury, executioner, and they're, they're trying to mm-hmm. step in the middle of a lot of these things. And that's just a really, really difficult place for them to be. I understand why, um, but every scenario is different. So I know when the Seahawks drafted him in the second round, they didn't have a first-round pick that year, which made it even worse. Uh, they had traded away in the Jimmy Graham. And, and right. I know John Schneider and I know five other teams that really, really like Frank and would have taken him in that second-round rage fully vetted the, the deal, too. Um, and I mean by going up there and talking to his counselor at Michigan and talking to coaches and teammates and everybody involved in, in such alleged incident. So uh, I think we all did our homework. And I think obviously before the Chiefs um, made this deal, they did theirs too. They talked to everybody under the sun as well, as did the Seahawks. But I think just speaking to, to Frank, I mean, he has since, you know, become a father and we have daughters the same age that are like two and a half, three years old. And we've really bonded in that and being parents, especially parents of daughters and, um, I know how much it means to Frank to be a great, you know, a high character person on and off the field. And I think growth in this business, Andrew, you've seen it um, at every level is, is the key, you know, and you're never going to be successful at anything, much less in the NFL. If, if you don't have a good head on your shoulders, you don't treat people the right way. And I'm just really proud of Frank. I mean, he won, he got involved in the community in Seattle. I mean, really involved in, in a homeless shelter cause there. And I mean, he won their Ed Block Courage Award, you know, voted on by his teammates. Um, Hmm. in Seattle this year so that's how far he's come and I can't speak to everybody else or what happened with Kareem Hunt or or what's going on with the other guy there but um, I feel really good about who Frank is as a person and you know and that goes to his past as well and uh, we've all got a story and I couldn't be more proud of him and um, you know I think with hard work and you know everything pays off so I hope I'm answering your question I think it's a fair one um, no, I think it's, and I'm right. sure it's something they talked about behind closed doors, but I think you have to vet every scenario and situation um, subjectively, and I think that's what happened here. Did it come up? You know, you've answered it very well and very honestly, Kander, I appreciate that. Did it come up, though, with the Chiefs 
in you know saying that listen we've been through this we just want to make sure it's he's completely out of his past it's gone he's been a model citizen since that time did did those kind of discussions come up before this massive contract I mean you know Andrew that I'm going to keep our business between me and the Chiefs but you know yeah, I guess I mean they they want to know you know, not just for me, like, oh, we're in, and I have a great relationship with those guys, and I've known them a long time, but it's not just, oh, we called his agent, we checked that box. I mean, we're talking about very thorough vetting before they give up a first and second round pick and then give a guy $105 million. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just tell you everything came up. Um, and, um, and and I think Frank is going to make those guys uh, look really good and really smart because I think they, they're very comfortable with who he is as a person, and um, and obviously as a player too, as was Seattle, right? Like Seattle offered us a gigantic contract all year long. Like we've been going back and forth and, and I'll tell you multiple other teams are involved in the potential, you know, trade and sign of Frank Clark. So this wasn't like a one-off you know, situation with Kansas city. Um, so uh, I think, I think most everybody was comfortable with that side of it. Well said. Okay. Last question. And this is what I've asked all these agents that have been on the show because so many people, as you know, want to get into this business. I hear from people every day and uh, obviously a lot of people listen to this podcast. How can it be an agent? What's it like to be an agent? How do you be an agent? Give us your thoughts on becoming an agent and the agent business in general. You've been around a long time. Where's it been and where's it going? Uh, great question. I know you teach, you know, sports administration stuff and, yep. and all of that. And so I've sat in those classrooms and, and I, I get it a lot. I try to talk to as many young people, you know, as I can who reach out or speaking to different law schools or what have you. And, you know, I, I'm not one of these guys. I know a lot of agents are like, run, do something else. Don't do it. It's, it's <laughs> asinine. It's crazy. I absolutely love what I do. Um, this is all I ever wanted to do. It's why I put myself through law school. It's why I got a, you know, sports administration master's degree um, dating way back. So I think anything's possible. Um, if you work your ass off and, and you know what you want to do and you set out kind of that roadmap we talked about earlier and you, you know, you just work your tail off of people. I think the biggest misconception is that you're going to be some, you know, you know, famous or there's some glamor to the business. I think as long as young people understand that, um, that ultimately this is a service business. I mean, right, the right. bottom line is when I was coming up and I had nothing, but you know, I was $178,000 in debt from student loans. I mean, I put myself oh. through a private law school in Miami, Florida, another year, private masters. I had undergrad degrees. I always worked two jobs my whole life, um, to give myself just a shot. And, you know, obviously it was a big setback financially being 180 grand in debt. Um, to get started in this business. But for my first five to seven years, I mean, I'm eating ramen noodles so that my fifth round pick can eat a filet and train for the draft. I mean, and ultimately that's what this business is. I mean, it's like, if you're not willing to sacrifice, we take on interns every year. And it's like, it's astonishing to me how many of them come in and just think it's like flash and dash and glamour and negotiating $105 million contracts and walk in the stage with, with Tyler Murray. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. less than 1% of our days. Like there's nothing I enjoy better than negotiating Frank's contract um, or anybody's contract for that matter. But it's like, though we spend 1% of our time doing what we truly love. The rest of it is literally being there for these young men and taking calls at one in the morning and dealing with heartache from the girlfriend or their mom or their, you know, the pressures they're feeling and dealing with and helping them 
just become normal functioning human beings. Um, and that it's truly a service business. If you don't like helping people, then truly, then that's where I say, then don't do it, man. Don't waste your time because it's truly not worth it. You've got to really love what you're doing and, and helping, you know, these young men become better fathers and better husbands and better business people. And I know it sounds cliche, Andrew, but that, that's really all it is. It's, it's very unglamorous. I'm on the road 150 plus nights a year, just being there for my guys and developing that relationship. And, you know, so that they can trust me. So, I mean, there's several agents that offered Frank Clark, you know, $150,000 cash in a backpack this year, just showed up on his doorstep in Seattle, trying to get him to fire me and hire them. I mean, it's like, you don't overcome that unless you have a really, really strong relationship with that client and, and ultimate trust that he knows, you know, not only are you doing everything you can to make him be successful, not just in his contract, but in life. Um, and that's really what it is. So my, my advice would be understand what you're getting into. I mean, it's, you, you are truly the caveat of a player, like for a player, like you are here for them. It's not about you. It's never about you. And, and I think that's what some of the self-serving agents out there, and there's a lot of them, you know that, Andrew. It's, I, mm -hmm. I just don't think they're successful. Even if they appear like they're, they're successful, they're just consistently on the grind and there's no way they can be happy doing this job. It's just too difficult, too competitive. So um, if you're truly about helping people get from point A to B and all the way to Z and enjoying the roller coaster ride in between and, and kind of rolling with the punches, I think – you know, there's nothing that I can think of that's more rewarding. I love the fact that no two days are different. Um, you know, today was very different than last Thursday, which is very different. It's a very stressful job um, at times if you look at it that way. But, um, again, I'm not one of these guys that says, oh, run the other way, go do something else. I mean, if that's something you're truly passionate about and you love sports, for me, I knew it was always going to be sports. So kind of an easy decision. But, um yeah, then I think it's, I think there's a, certainly a place for it in the business of sports. And um, I think there's more places for, you know, as the business becomes more specialized and, um, you know, like all businesses, whether it's law or real estate, everything's becoming much more specialized. And I think there's, um, there's more nuanced areas for people to fit in and really add value. What would you do, uh, advise a young person how they can, or, or a professional that wants to switch careers? how they can add value in this business. I mean, everybody recruits, everybody tries to learn these contracts. Is there a kind of a special sauce differentiator in this business? I guess that's what everyone's trying to find out. That's a great question. I mean, it's just, you have to be progressively thinking about what the future looks like and what it holds. I, like, I remember being back in law school. Shoot, it's been like 15 years ago. Wondering how do I get in? What is my in? What is my niche? Um, you know, and way back then it was kind of this business management role, right? Which is like kind of that Hollywood model for actors. They have their agents and they have their lawyers and they have their managers right. and what all of that entails. And, you know, at the time, the NFL agent business was strictly kind of contracts, very transactional. Um, you know, I'm sure there was still a lot of handholding and babysitting and like management skill stuff, but not anywhere close to what it is today as when I entered the business. Um, and so, you know, look, I, I think I, I always like, you know, the finance and accounting side of things. I mean, there's not a business in America that, that doesn't need really good finance and, and accounting people. Um, I think that's always a good in no matter what business. So 
you know, whether it's the financial advisement side, they help guys with their money. I mean, that's an extremely important part of this. Like agents don't mess with that side of it, right? Our job is to make them money. And there's kind of a conflict there in terms of helping them invest in all of that because of some horror stories of, you know, 15 years mm-hmm. ago, when, when you know, the tank blacks of the world, et cetera. So um, I think the financial and, and accounting side is really interesting and important. Um, the business management side, I mean, the marketing side has really exploded in the last five to 10 years in terms of brand building and endorsements and all of that, um, I know it's gigantic. So, but what you don't want to come in now and go, oh, I want to be the best marketing guy in the NFL because those relationships are kind of established. So find out 10 years ago, be that badass marketing guy that now is established today, if that makes sense. Go right. in 15 years ago and be that like financial advisor that specializes in you know, the tax structures of NFL, you know, payment, stru- you know, uh, of how these guys are taxed and the jock tax and get in there. And here you are, you blink and 15, 20 years later, you're the guy with that. And you represent everybody's money, you know, all the top guys in the NFL's money. That's a great gig, right? And, you know, you can kind of go to bed at night at 5 p.m. when the banks close. So I don't really know what that thing is because I kind of found my niche in the agent side. And I've been beyond blessed just to be where I am. And I'm trying to grow my firm and and in all of that, uh, one contract and one player at a time. But I don't know if that makes sense. I can't really point and say, but I would just say put a lot of thought instead of spending weeks and weeks sending out resumes and calling guys like me and begging for an internship that you have no idea what that means or what you're going to do. Spend all of that time brainstorming on where you think you can add value by looking at what the landscape of the business looks like, um, you know, and, and where the trends are going. And, um, you know, and try to fit in there and kind of beat that curve. Um, because if you can come in and, and, and find somebody, then you can pitch a guy like me or a guy like Mark Rogers or David Canner and say, hey, here's who I am and here's how I think I can add value to your firm. And, and guys like us that are at the kind of, the, you know, in the business and successful or what have you will go, absolutely, we know when we hear it, whether it's on point or not. Like, yes, that's exactly what I need. And I'm having to do a lot of that stuff myself right now. I think you fit in nicely with my firm to fill that void. And then right. you can kind of get in and start establishing yourself and building your trust and, and work ethic to, to guys like us and, and grow in the business and be successful. If I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but no, it does. That's and what that, I would do if I was a young guy yeah. in law school right now. That's great advice. And a lot of young people listen to that and take that to heart. As I always say, go narrow, go deep, go find that something that's going to make you different from others. And, as you just said, really add value to take something off someone's plate. That's what everyone's looking for. You know, when can someone come in and do something I so I can do something else? And that's what people are looking for. That's right. And I think, I think timing is always important too, Andrew, right? Like for all of us, whether that's you taking your job in Green Bay and or when you decide to do something else, it's like, yeah. I'm just astounded by, it could be the small, I get resumes from guys in Harvard Law right now that are willing to work for free for three years to, hold my briefcase and everything else. And it's like, it's just crazy that I'm getting those emails like two days after the draft when Kyler Murray's drafted. It's like, come on, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not getting back to that guy because it's like, he, like I said, he's in it for the wrong reasons. He sees, Oh, Kyler Murray. Oh, who's his agent? Oh, I'm going to write that dude an email. Like, you know, where were you in July 10 years ago when I'm representing a slow six round pick who can't run, you know, it's like, be, be, think through, put yourself in the, in the shoes of me. If you're reaching out to me, 
or, or dated cancer. Research his business. Where is he at? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to build? Don't just hit me up right after the draft or right after I do Frank Clark's deal. You know what I mean? Think through the timing of those things and, uh, and when and how to approach is, is critical. And I think that's so different than I told you my you know, strategy for, for a guy like Kyler when we vetted, okay, we want our goal to go be an NFL quarterback. Let's look at these six teams that need quarterback. And like I said, you said, you know, narrow, fo- narrow your focus and go deep. I mean, I, my, my analogy was hunt with a rifle. Like, hone in on that guy. Don't send me the same email you sent David mm-hmm. Tanner or Mark Rogers or, or the next guy. Like, go deep. Get to know what's going on with me. And that's what I try to stress to these. I try to speak at some of these schools and, and just to, you know, help those guys out because I didn't get a lot of that advice. And um, so, so find your niche. And, and like you said, go deep, narrow your focus, but, but definitely tailor your approach to make it very subjective to who your audience is. That's no different than what I have to do as an agent, right? Like I have to tailor to my audience because right. I can't just say the same thing. Player X, you should sign for right. X until right. 10. I see a lot of these old head agents doing the same spiel. And it's like, dude, that's not the world we live in today. You've got to send, okay, this GM is super into analytics. So like I send them a 29 page book on literally analytics and where this thing is going with the salary cap. And then the, you know, the old school GMs really just into he wants to hear from these coaches. So I send him a quote from Lincoln Riley, a quote from Kutsky's Bear, a quote from Andy Reid. You've got to know what rings true to your audience to get anything accomplished in yeah. any business you're doing. And I think too many guys are just doing the same thing. Too many people out there on the hunt and on the search. And, um, and that just makes it tough. Eric, it's been great. Really appreciate you sharing all these insights about Kyler, about Frank, about your career, about advice for young people. Really been great having you on the show. Man, it's a what you do. So anytime um, and uh, continued success. Keep rocking and rolling on these triathlons, my man. I'm sure you're <laughs> going to do better on your next. When's the next race? Oh, it's coming up. It's May 11th. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, where, where's it at? Uh, I do one, uh, outside of sort of, uh, I live in the Philly area, so it's about two hours North of here. It's a big one in the country. All right. Well, all right, let's go get it. My man got to break that time from last week. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Just like in the NFL. Show me every, every week you show me, right? You got to keep putting up. Yeah. You got to keep being better. That's all I'm trying to do. Be better. That's right. Well, I appreciate you, Andrew. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, let me know if I can ever help with anything. Appreciate you, Eric. Be well. Compelling interview with Eric Burkhardt. Now, word from betonline.ag. We're starting May now, so we kick off with all the things going on. You got NBA playoffs, you got NHL playoffs, you got the Canelo versus Alvarez fight coming up, you got the Kentucky Derby, so don't miss out on all the action at betonline.ag. Use promo code PODCAST1 as your 50% sign up bonus. Today, we've been saying for nine months, only one place has you covered for all these events. Ton of action as we start May. It's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account. Use that promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. All those things in the news, only one place to get them all, betonline.ag. That'll do it for a special edition of the Business of Sports podcast with special guest Eric Burkhart. Really appreciate those who give us good ratings and comments. Always appreciate them on Apple Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. You promise your child they can grow up to become who they want to be. We know college is expensive. But YouPromise.com lets you save extra money for your child's future by doing the everyday things you already do. Save for college when shopping online or even on your weekly grocery store runs. Link any college savings plan with a free YouPromise account for worry-free college savings deposited each month. Sign up today at YouPromise.com for a $30 welcome bonus. Start now at YouPromise.com. If you're committed to building healthy habits, let Noom put psychology to work. Noom's award-winning program takes a cognitive behavioral approach, helping you form sustainable eating and exercise habits that last. With Noom, no food is off limits, and there's no counting calories either. Instead, Noom gives you the expert guidance and ongoing support you need to achieve your health goals, all backed by leading evidence-based psychology and nutrition science. Start your trial at noom.com/balance. That's n o o m.com/balance.